happy Monday, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of the Frary and Smith podcast. Before we get to today's special guest, here's a quick reminder. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you like what you hear in today's episode, consider leaving us a quick rating or review on those platforms. With that said, we're really excited to have our latest guest join us on the Frary and Smith podcast for the first episode of our Sunbelt in Review series, where we'll spend some time highlighting the record-breaking 2023 football season. Sunbelt Conference Commissioner Keith Gill was named the conference's sixth commissioner in March of 2019, and in the process became the first African-American commissioner of an NCAA football bowl subdivision conference. Commissioner Gill, a former standout running back at Duke University, is a veteran of intercollegiate athletics, having served in various roles across the college landscape Over the past 30 years, he previously served as the athletic director at American University in Richmond University before a multi-year stint as the executive associate commissioner of the Atlantic 10 Conference. Since joining the Sunbelt in 2019, Keith has overseen various efforts to emphasize the academic success and personal development of the league's student-athletes. He's implemented strategies to boost the league's competitive success in all of its 18 sponsored sports and He's also spent a lot of time expanding the conference's national profile through groundbreaking deals with ESPN and other media entities. In addition, Commissioner Gill recently guided the conference through the most recent round of college football realignment, which saw the league add four new member institutions, James Madison, Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss, to bring the league's total to 14 league members in 10 contiguous states while further solidifying its standing as one of the top non-autonomy conferences. Caden, tell our listeners a little bit more about what we heard from Commissioner Gill in this interview. It was great to have Commissioner Gill on this interview. I know me and you have ran into him in a couple of these App State games and talked about, or different Sunbelt games throughout the season and talked about having him on the podcast. And it was great to finally have him on and really recap the season and talk about the amazing season this conference had, the past as far as getting new teams involved into the conference, the present, this really great year we had and this great bowl season we have, and the future what this conference will look like. And just great hearing him talk about some of these larger topics that we talk about constantly in the college football space and having that really tie in together with the Sunbelt and looking at heading to the future and seeing what the Sunbelt Conference is going to look like in the next couple of years. It was very exciting to have Commissioner Gill on talking about this conference because we know how special it is to us and it's very, very special to him through our conversations with him. Well, we're really excited to have Commissioner Keith Gill on the podcast today. Keith, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule to join us. Yeah, no, it's great to be with you. So I appreciate you having me on. Well, let's jump right in. And one of the things that I don't think most people realize is that in your role as Sunbelt Commissioner, your job is really to carry out the wishes of the league's 14 member institutions. Can you speak to that dynamic and how that process of working with the school's athletic directors and presidents happens? Yeah, you know, um, you know, I, I think it's um, it, fortunate. We're really fortunate because we've got great people, you know, so our, our presidents and, and chancellors are, are really good. And they're on the same page and the same with our ADs. But, you know, it's a lot of conversations, a lot of meetings. You know, my my style is really trying to be present. So I try to get around a lot, try to see the presidents, I try to talk to them, I try to see the ADs, I try to talk to them. And I, and I think that that helps. That helps me understand kind of where they want the league to go. I think it helps me understand how to implement and execute that. So a lot of communications, a lot of conversations. The way I always say it is, you know, I work for the CEOs. And I work with the ADs because the ADs are people I'm talking to constantly. 
and the CEOs, I'm not necessarily talking to them as much, but they certainly are the ones that, um, that I report to. Commissioner, when Texas and Oklahoma announced that they were going to join the SEC in the fall of 2021, it seems like it started a chain reaction of the latest rounds of college football realignment. And then the Sun Belt goes on to add four new schools with James Madison, Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss. What went into the decision of having those schools picked and what ultimately made those such a great fit for this league? Yeah, you know, it, it almost goes back to the, the question that um, Noah just asked me and the answer I just gave in terms of, you know, really talking to all of our CEOs, talking to our LADs to kind of see, hey, what do we want out of a league? There's going to be some disruption here. There's obviously going to be some ripples through the system. And that's when we kind of sat down and, and put together a process of just kind of regularly meeting, regularly talking, looking at the landscape. And and when we knew we really wanted to kind of dive into this kind of let's get schools that regionally make some sense for us that have great football programs and really passionate fan bases, you know, that's where that kind of started to emerge. And then we started to implement that strategy. The great thing about it is I think we accomplished that goal, you know, in the football space, but we got better across all of our sports, you know, we're better basketball started in men's soccer league and had the number one, you know, kind of overall seed in the NCAA tournament, you know, we're better at baseball, better at softball sports that we've been good at. So um, it actually worked better than we thought, but it certainly was a collaborative process with our ADs and with our CEOs, just trying to look at the landscape, trying to get a sense of what made sense for the Sun Belt and coming up with a um, with an approach that that we could implement. I think that's an important point you made about just what those schools have brought to the league as a whole. I know I had the chance to call several of the championships this fall and just to see teams like James Madison, Old Dominion really insert themselves. It's been neat just to see really league-wide uh, the growth. Um you know, now to follow up on that a little bit, those four new member institutions have now completed their first full football season in the league. Uh, several of them were highly successful. What feedback have you received from those schools about their experience and what's kind of your personal evaluation of how those those four schools implemented themselves into the league this year? You know, I think it went great. I mean, I, I think we had a really good football league, you know, and um, our football season. And and I think our new schools were part of it. You know, obviously, JMU had a great a great season in terms of being eight and three and, um, and you know, started off with a big win over Middle Tennessee and uh, kind of kept rolling out of there. Um, and then when you look at, you know, big win by Old Dominion over Virginia Tech, you know, Southern Miss got bowl eligible and also beat Tulane. Marshall had a big win over Notre Dame and was bowl eligible and won their bowl game. So for us, you know, it was really a good, um, a good season generally for the Sun Belt, but certainly the, the new schools really contributed a lot and, um, and added to the flavor of the league. And I also think if you look at our crowds, if you look at the excitement, you know, those regional rivalries in terms of those East and West division games were really, um, you know, the fans really supported them, which was another, which was a good thing. Cause at the end of the day, we want to have energy in the stadium. We want to make sure fans want to either travel to the game or attend those home games. And I think we were able to do that in our first year. You mentioned that big Marshall win over Notre Dame in the beginning of the season. And we can't talk about this Sunbelt season without talking about that week, too. That was just a truly special performance from schools like App State getting the upset over Texas A&M as well. And even Georgia Southern defeating Nebraska. What is that? What did that weekend look like as you as a commissioner? And what would you say the impact of that week had on the conference as a whole? Yeah, you know, it was pretty incredible. You know, I mean, to be honest with you, if, I, if there was a big power switch that could have clicked and cut the power for the rest of the season, I probably would have because 
you know, that was about as good as it was going to get. I mean, it was, it was really awesome with those three big wins. And, um, and you think about kind of how you, how we like built up to those wins, you know, cause you know, the Marshall and the, um, and the, and the app game were going on kind of at the same time, but Marshall was a little ahead. So they beat Notre Dame, you know, then you, then you switch over and apps up and then they win. And then you got the nightcap with Georgia Southern beating Nebraska. So it was really just an exciting time for us. I thought it, put a great spotlight on the league, you know, because it's all things that we in the league already know, which is we play great football. You know, it really is trying to educate folks who aren't that familiar with the Sun Belt, who are outside of the league. And that's those types of things um, help that, you know, in, in 2020, it was week two um, when, you know, Louisiana beat Iowa State, Coastal beat Kansas and Arkansas State beat Kansas State. And that like put a big spotlight on the Sun Belt and showed people kind of the um, quality of football we play. Same thing with week two in 2022. Nice spotlight on us, and, and it gave us great momentum to have a really good season. Now go ahead and to follow up on that, tell the story about how you were listening to some of those games. I know that you were at the Texas yeah. State game. What did that day look like for you? Yeah, it was, it was really nutty, actually. You know, So I flew into Austin, or actually, no, I flew into San Antonio from New Orleans because I was headed to um, – FIU, um, FIU is at Texas State. So, um, so that's the game I was headed to. So when I left my hotel, I had the, the, um, Texas A&M game on the radio because I could get that just through the, the network. So I'm listening to app, you know, since I was in Texas on the, um, Texas A&M radio network. So you can imagine how excited they weren't, um, as they were televising the game. And then actually my brother-in-law on the phone who was talking to me about, what was going on at Marshall Notre Dame. Cause when I left the hotel, you know, that game was close. And so, but I really had no way of kind of tracking it. So, so he's yelling in my ear, you know, particularly when they got the pick six, you know, so Mark, Marshall scores to go ahead. Notre Dame's trying to drive back when they get the pick six, he's going crazy about the pick six. So I got him on my phone going crazy there. I've got Texas A&M um, radio network broadcasting the app game in my car as I'm driving to San Marcos. So it was awesome. And then I pull into San Marcos and, um, you know, Marshall had won. I run up to the, um, to the um, press area and then get them to turn on and they turn on the app um, Texas A&M game. So we, I watched that from the press box, which is great. Yeah, it was awesome. It was really unbelievable. And then I listened to um, the Nebraska Georgia Southern game on, on my way home um, driving back to San Antonio from um, from San Marcos, so it was uh, it, it was a crazy day. It was an unbelievable day for the Sun Belt. Well, I love hearing that story, and it's fun to get that perspective. I think everyone thinks that your life is glamorous and and all of this, but I think you're just a, a regular down home guy that had to listen to the game on the radio. So I love that. Um, that next week, it was then announced that College Game Day was coming to Boone, North Carolina, for the league's first conference game between App State and Troy. Uh, the game ended with that storybook ending on Chase Bryce's Hail Mary. What do you remember from that day and just being in attendance for that one of the biggest moments of the year? Yeah, you know, I, I just thought it was such a great day for App and obviously for the Sun Belt, you know, and, and, and a great day for Troy, too. You know, just having game day and just it just raises the profile and really just shines a light on Sun Belt football, you know, on Boone, on Appalachian State, their beautiful campus. And um, and then obviously that that great game that they had with Troy. So I, I just thought it was a great day for um, the Sun Belt. And I thought one of the great things about it is it allowed us to keep that momentum from week two going. You know, because at the end of the day, if App doesn't beat Texas A&M, 
game day is going to be at Texas A&M. I mean, they didn't know it at the time, but it was a battle for game day. And, um, and, and fortunately, App won it. And so um, you just can't pay for that kind of exposure. You know, having, you know, Reese Davis and Kirk Street and Desmond Howard there kind of talking about, you know, App and Boone and, and, and all those kinds of things. Um, so it's great, you know, um, and, and we can't put uh, a dollar amount on that, you know, and, and, and neither can App. So I, I really think it was tremendous. Um, one of the highlights of the year. Then having the game to end the way it does on a Hail Mary is is it's really unbelievable. Um, so what a what a great weekend that was with game day and 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 being at Appalachian State. And in that weekend, Troy took the loss that day and boom, but they got the last laugh at the end of the season. They're the conference championship winners, the Cure Bowl champions, 12 and 2 season. It was really a special year for John Summerall and that team in his first season. What do you think made that team so special this year? And what do you think their ability to end up at the top of this league and win the conference says about the league because not many people were picking them heading into the season. Yeah, well, you know, Coach Summerall did a great job. And, you know, you think about it, it's so nice when you've got, you know, senior leadership. So you think about a guy like Carl Marshall, who has just been kind of unbelievable um, in his time there and the way he's led that defense. I mean, defensively, you know, you think about them in the bowl game. That was an amazing defensive performance they've had. And, um, and so I just think that, you know, they've just found a way to win. You know, they, they were um, just big hearts, good football players. And you think about the championship game to the bowl game. So the way they win in the championship game is their offense is going crazy. And um, Gunnar Watson has an unbelievable game. They're making great catches and they're running the ball. And they're putting up big numbers offensively. And then they get to a point where they're in the bowl game and they win the game with about 150 yards of total offense. And so I just think it shows his versatility. Um, it shows how important leadership is having one, you know, a great coach, but also that that team and having guys like Carl, Carlton Marshall on there, um, making sure that you have success. And so I was really happy for them. You know, Troy's a proud program, lots of Sunbelt championships and certainly hadn't been to the championship game and hadn't won a championship in a while. And so it was nice to see them kind of get back to where they have been historically um, in some belt football and college football generally. Yeah, definitely great for the league to see Troy back playing uh, some good football. Let's talk about another team that had a great season, James Madison. They were one of those new member institutions. They go eight and three. They tie Coastal Carolina uh, at the top of the Eastern Division. Uh, Keith, they weren't eligible to compete for the conference championship or in a bowl game due to those rules about transitioning from the FCS level. What are your thoughts on their year and ultimately its abrupt con- conclusion that didn't allow them to play in the postseason? Yeah, you know, I think Jamie had a great year, you know, um, really, you know, I was, um, you know, their first game, I was at their first game, you know, against um, Middle Tennessee, and they really looked unbelievable. <laughs> you know, it looked like, you know, they've been an FBS team for a, for a long time. And so, and they had a great year and they kept that going and um, and, and certainly, um, you know, won a lot of games, ended up eight and three, which was, um, you know, a great way to kind of kick off. So I, um, I, I don't know that there's enough superlatives that, um, you can say about what JMU did, the job that Coach Signetti did. And also my hats off to the institution, you know, to President Alger and to Jeff Bourne in terms of, um, in terms of the way that they prepared for this move, um, because they were more than ready. And, um, and I, and I just think, you know, obviously it's unfortunate they didn't get a chance to c- compete in the postseason. I think that would have been great, you know, for that team. And I would have loved to see how they compete. But I certainly understand 
why these rules are in place because you also don't want kind of open season on um, people moving to FBS, you know? And so I certainly recognize that JMU is kind of a special case kind of in that regard. Um, but I also understand why the rules are there and um, and why they're helpful because if they weren't, then I do think there would be a lot more schools kind of trying to make that move to FBS. And I don't know that that's good, you know, either. So, um, so I think it's a tough situation. You know, it's not obviously the best thing in the world and hopefully, you know, they can get some relief for year two um, because that would be, you know, great if they can participate um, in the postseason um, next year. Well, there were still seven other Sunbelt schools that made it to bowl games this year. We started off the season with three straight wins and that was followed by three straight losses from Sunbelt schools. Overall, the league finishes three and four. What were your takeaways from this year's bowl season with the Sunbelt and why is bowl season so important to leagues like the Sunbelt Conference? Yeah, you know, it's a great place to showcase your game. You know, you think about the, or showcase your teams. So the Birmingham Bowl had over 2 million views, you know, I mean, so you just think that you have these opportunities to kind of showcase your football. So, you know, we got off to a great start, you know, we're 3-0 and after our first three games. And then unfortunately, you know, we lost the last four. And so you never want to do that. But overall, I thought it was a, it was a, a successful bowl year, successful football season. Um, you think about, you know, we started off with Troy and, um, you know, the only bowl, you know, kind of con- contest where you had two conference championships and Troy won that. So good on good, Troy wins, which is great. You know, and then, you know, follow that up, obviously, with um, – um, with, uh, um, oh, now I'm kind of thinking, so we went Cure, then we went Myrtle Beach. Um, and so that was, um, that was a good win, you know, for, oh, it's Mobile. That's the one. So Lending Tree, and that's a great win for Southern Miss, you know, and Frank Gore had a great game, um, you know, of rush for over 300 yards. And that's a great showcase for us. And, um, and, and so, and, and that's over a million viewers, you know, get to see that. And then Myrtle Beach Bowl, obviously Marshall played well, had a great crowd. Southern Miss had a great crowd. So at the end of the day, I thought bowl season was good for us. We would have liked to have won a few more games. And I think that that's the, that's the story of athletics. You never win as much as you want. Um, but all in all, I thought it was a, it was a good year for, for the Sun Belt. Yeah, definitely great just to see those seven member institutions in the, you know, in bowl season. I know that that was the most for the league in history. Uh, let's transition and talk about, you know, a couple of topics that are affecting college football as a whole nationally. Um, the transfer portal has really taken the college football landscape by storm. We've already seen players from the Sun Belt come and go through the portal this offseason. Uh, what are your thoughts on the transfer portal, both as a whole and ultimately as it relates particularly to the Sun Belt Conference? Yeah, you know, I think the transfer portal, you know, it's, it's, it's good and bad, right? You know, I mean, I think for, you know, generally you, it's bad when you're losing players that you don't want to lose, um, but then it's good when you're getting players that you don't that you want to get, you know? And so, and I, so I, I think that the interesting, the conversation about it is usually always on the negative. Um, yet, you know, but there are positive things that happen through the portal. So I do think that there's, you know, it does seem like there's a lot of movement though. And, um, and that maybe the system would be better if there's a little less movement. And so I do hope at some point it settles down where there's not, so many transfers and, um, and, and people leaving. Cause I think there's a lot of disruption there that, that sometimes isn't helpful to anyone, whether it's the student or, or the program. But at the end of the day, I think most programs, you know, it impacts them in positive and negative ways. I think the Sun Belt's no different than that. Um, certainly had, you know, transfers in our league that made some really good, um, you know, Van Trees at Georgia Southern. Obviously, you know, that's a great transfer. And so it's hard to argue that the portal was terrible there. 
Um, but yet you still lose some players that you want to, that you want to keep. Um, and, and so, so I, I think it, it cuts both ways. Um, uh, but I do think there's too much movement. I do wish the a whole landscape would calm down a little bit and a higher percentage of student athletes would kind of remain at their original institutions. Similarly, the name, image, and likeness has become extremely relevant and has already been used pretty frequently in tandem with the transfer portal. How have you seen it get utilized around the league so far? And what do you think the future of NIL looks like in the Sunbelt Conference? Yeah, you know, I think the future for NIL looks bright. You know, I think um, it would be nice to have a national kind of set of rules and some consistency rather than the state-by-state patchwork. So hopefully that gets cleaned up a little bit. I think in the Sun Belt we continue to grow. I mean, we continue to add some collectives with some of the schools and um, and continue to expand our offerings in that space. So I think it's been um, positive. Um, I still think we're kind of um, continuing to mature kind of in the name, image, and likeness market. I think our schools are doing a great job of trying to use that in the space. Hopefully at some point we'll be able to clean up using name, image, and likeness in this like kind of recruiting and inducement area, whether that's transfer or pre-college. Um, Cause I think that would be helpful. I don't think it was intended to be this recruiting inducement that it has now become. Um, and so I do hopeful we can get kind of that cleaned up a little bit, but I think it's worked pretty well for the Sun Belt. I think we have some schools that are doing some, some innovative things and, and, um, and you can see by our talent level that, you know, it, it, that we're, we're kind of thriving in this space and, and, and it hasn't been a detriment for us. It sounds like with the two topics we've just discussed, I think you would just like to see some guardrails placed on the transfer portal and on NIL. Is that correct? Absolutely. You know, just, yeah. You know, right now it's a free-for-all, you know, and I don't know that that's good for anybody, um, whether that's students or, or the enterprise. So trying to get some consistency, trying to get a framework, you know, that, that we all agree to, I think would be helpful. Now, to switch topics, everyone who follows the league was excited to see Troy get into the top 25 at the end of the year. We saw teams like Coastal and James Madison uh, get short stints in the top 25 this season. At times, though, it kind of felt like the league didn't quite gain that respect that maybe it deserved in the national rankings. What do you think will or what will it take ultimately for the Sun Belt to continue to garner more respect in those national rankings moving forward? Yeah, you know, I think we've just got to keep doing what we're doing, you know, and year over year, I think eventually that will come. Um, you know, I was certainly disappointed in terms of how the rankings played out from a CFP perspective and um, from an AP and coaches poll perspective. So I am certainly was glad to see Troy, you know, eventually make it in, but I would argue they should have gotten in earlier. Um, and, and certainly, you know, South should have been in there at some point. Coastal should have been in there a little earlier. And so I, I do think that, but we've just got to keep doing what we, we you can only control what we can control. You know, we, we can't control what the CFP does or what the, or at least what the selection committee does. And we can't control AP and coaches poll. So we just got to keep going out and winning games. And I think if we continue to do that year over year, um, then that will put us where we need to be, you know, because at the end of the day, we, you know, we want to be preseason ranked, you know, and, 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 you know, if you can get ranked in the preseason, that really sets you up in some really good and important ways. Um, and, and, and so, and obviously we want to be ranked at the end of the season, you know, and, and that's the one great thing about Troy's um, winning the Cure Bowl is it really does assure them of being, you know, they were going to be in the final CFP poll no matter what, because that, that comes out um, prior to the bowls, but then they're going to be in the final AP and the final coaches poll, and that's good. So trying to get preseason ranked is something we're always talking about, something we're always 
pushing forward, making sure that we're getting information out about our teams so people know how good our teams are. And um, and then obviously trying to be ranked in the postseason as well, because that means you won a bunch of games and you kind of maintain that rankings. So but I wasn't fired up with how the, our progression worked this year. And um, I'm certainly hopeful that next year um, it is a little better for our team because they certainly are deserving. Before we let you go, Commissioner, we wanted to get your thoughts on the 12-team college football playoff that will debut in 2024. In theory, that would allow a Sunbelt member institution to compete for a national title. Why was the Sunbelt Conference in favor of the 12-team model, and what does the opportunity to expand the college football playoff present itself to the conference? Yeah, you know, because it gives us a chance to compete for a championship, you know, and if you think about it with the 14 model, you know, trying to go undefeated and, you know, and we've seen teams that are undefeated that weren't A5 teams that still didn't make the um, college football playoff. So being undefeated is hard enough, um, but trying to do that year over year, every year, just to maybe be considered for the 14 playoff wasn't really going to be a realistic opportunity. And so now we do have a realistic opportunity. Um, and and so, so I think, number one, just being able to compete for the championship and have some expanded opportunities that actually give us a real chance to get into that playoff um, is really important. I do think when you look at just postseason generally, championships generally, you know, FBS football, that's the lower, lowest percentage of teams versus participation opportunities. So I think having those participation opportunities generally for college football students is good. I think that that's just good for the game. I think also it allows us to put more emphasis on college football throughout the entire season, because now when we get to the end of the season, you'll have 25 to 35 teams that are going to be in play in November for a potential spot in the playoff. Now you generally have like four, maybe six if you're lucky. And so I think that's actually going to be better for college football. And then the last thing I'll say is I think it's going to give a little more regional diversity to the teams that are actually in the college football playoff. And I think that's good for the sport as well, making sure that all the countries all the regions of the country are represented and that people across the United States have a vested interest in what's happening in college football. So I think it's good for the sport. I certainly think it's good for the Sun Belt. And, um, and I'm, I'm really excited, you know, really we've got one more season. And, um, and after this 24 season, um, you know, in the 25 season, we'll start with the expanded playoff, which I think is really exciting. Well, Commissioner, we certainly appreciate your time. We know you're a busy guy, and we appreciate you jumping on today. And certainly, we both enjoyed uh, the football season this year and are are looking forward to uh, the year to come. Yeah, thanks so much. Okay, and how much fun was that? It's fun to hear from the man that is kind of behind pulling the strings on the backside for the conference. And I found it really interesting just to talk about, you know, the season as a whole. But as you mentioned earlier on, it was really interesting just to hear his thoughts on some of the biggest issues that are affecting college football as a whole right now. It definitely is. We obviously hear a lot about when we talk about the transfer portal, when we talk about conference realignment, you're always going to hear about the bigger name conferences if you're just a guy turning on ESPN, turning on Fox Sports 1. But hearing how all those issues relate to the Sunbelt Conference, it's a great hearing Commissioner Gill's perspective on that. And it seems like the future of the conference is very bright. I think there was a very clear distinction and difference in 2019 when he got that job, when you just look at the conference as a whole. And you can kind of tell it's going to be continuing to head in that direction in the future. So very exciting stuff to hear about from him in the conference. 
I thought it was really interesting to hear his thoughts, too, on perhaps getting some guardrails on the transfer portal and on NAL. I know that's things that we've talked about uh, on the podcast quite extensively. Definitely. And I think anyone in college sports right now can agree that there needs to be some different rules and regulations because a lot of people are referring to this current time as the wild, wild west and seeing how now the transfer portal is being fused and combined with name image likeness and how that's having effect on players going to different schools. It's definitely it's kind of a situation where the rich get richer. You look at these big name schools who have a lot of big exposure, a lot of big boosters. They're going to continue to get riches as far as being able to provide different services and different NIL opportunities for some of these other athletes. So it's definitely going to be a negative effect you can look like on some of these smaller conferences. So seeing some guardrails and stuff, I think will definitely even the playing field. And I think both of us are definitely an advocate of the transfer portal and seeing players get paid. But I think that there needs to definitely be some rules going forward so that conferences like the Sunbelt maybe don't get pushed to the side a little bit too much as far as talent goes. Okay, and I think the most interesting thing that I took out of that interview, and it was a different perspective uh, that I hadn't necessarily gained before, but the thought process of wanting to get teams ranked at the beginning of the year and why that's so important to the league. What are some things that, in your mind, the Sun Belt needs to do moving forward in order to start to see that become a reality? Yeah, being a student athlete at App State and anytime any of these Sunbelt schools and any of these conferences start to get some undefeated season start and you're starting to get that hashtag rank App State, hashtag rank Coastal. Well, it's very much easier if you start the season ranked to stay ranked versus trying to chip and make your way into the top 25. So I think that's a great point that Commissioner Gill made. And I think when you look at a season like Troy had, I mean, why shouldn't Troy start next season ranked looking at what they did and how they finished the season last year? So I think if we can continue to build up the name of the Sun Belt and people can notice those power five victories we get, notice how good the ball is consistently week after week, I think that'll help a ton as far as getting these schools into the national picture maybe before the season and earning some of that respect that we've seen other group of five schools gain and then go forward from there and stay ranked and hopefully, like we talked about, end up in that 12-team playoff and end up in that picture. Yeah, it's definitely important to win the messaging battle these days in college football, and I believe that by getting teams ranked earlier on in the season, it's going to help you do that. Well, that will do it for another great episode of the Frarian Smith Podcast. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to Sunbelt Conference Commissioner Keith Gill, as well as Senior Associate Commissioner Sam Kanihans for helping make that interview happen. Uh, Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with the second episode in our Sunbelt in Review series, highlighting the historic 2023 season of conference champions, Troy University. Uh, We're going to have special guest Josh Boutwell, who serves as the sports editor of the Troy Messenger, stop by. He's going to provide us with some inside perspective on that year for Troy. Again, thanks for taking time to listen today. If you like what you heard on this episode of the Frarian Smith Podcast, make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you never miss another episode. And if you'd be so kind, consider leaving us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We love hearing what you all think about the podcast. Finally, take a moment to follow the show on our Twitter page at Prairie Smith for all the latest Sunbelt football news and notes. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.